I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 1 this evening. Philippians chapter 1. So it's been a few weeks since we've uh, taken steps in our benchmark series, so you're going to get sort of the full review tonight because we're down to the last uh, the last cluster of terms. So uh, the goal of the series is to establish some mile markers, if I could put it that way. If uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm a, I'm addicted to knowing how far I have to go before I get to my destination. So I'm always calculating the the miles based on the exits and and how much farther to go to get to the end of this state and into the next one. And and this is a way of thinking about someone coming to Christ and and being the kind of follower of Jesus Christ that would be mature, right? They're, they're actually a fully developed and fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. What would be, what would be important benchmarks along that way so that we might uh, not only examine ourselves as to our progress in Christ, but also as a congregation, how can we be encouraging each other to move to the next benchmark? So that we don't have what uh, I think uh, sometimes often has happened because of a confusion about the mission of the church um, is instead of having a full understanding of what the, the Great Commission teaches, which is we summarize it as make and mature disciples because it says make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded. That sometimes people have thought about the church more like a, a life raft, where the job is simply to be floating in the ocean of with, where there are lost people and scoop them out of the ocean and get them into the boat and then keep going to grab the next person and pull them into the boat. And success for the church is just getting more people into the boat. Now, if all you're talking about evangelism, then, then that's a, a, a good analogy. But Jesus commissioned us to do more than just evangelism. Right? That whole statement about teach them to observe all that I commanded you means that the mission of the church isn't just get people in the lifeboat and ignore the people in the boat to go get more people in the boat. It's actually that you're supposed to get them to become a follower of Christ and then teach them to observe all that Christ commanded, right? So there's an ongoing responsibility. And sometimes what can happen is uh, partly by theology, right? People can have a view of the Christian church and of the Christian life that puts it, instead of benchmarks, it's plateaus, right? So someone's a lost person and then they get saved, but they're just sort of like a carnal Christian until they make a secondary kind of decision to become a dedicated Christian or a spiritual Christian. Or, so in line with discipleship, it is, you get people to be believers in Jesus, and then maybe at some point 
you might disciple them. They become a disciple. They create two distinct categories of Christians, those who are believers and those who are disciples. And that means discipleship can just sort of be pushed off really permanently because you don't actually have to be discipled. All you have to do to get to heaven is just be a believer. And what it effectively does is it, it, it guts the great, committi- great commission of what it says. Because he didn't say, go make believers and then baptize them and then make them disciples. He said, go make disciples. I mean, you, you either become a follower of Jesus Christ or you don't. There's no such thing as someone who's a Christian who's not a follower of Jesus. I mean, if you're not following Jesus, that's a serious problem, right? So so the reality of it is, is the new birth produces a person who's a follower of Jesus. And so the question then is, how do we help people follow him more closely? What would following him more closely look like? What would be benchmarks of that, right? So that's, that's sort of the big idea that we've been looking at for seven or eight months, all right, sporadically as we've gone through on Sunday nights. And up to this point, we've talked about the benchmark of trusting, right? If they're going to actually be a disciple, they have to trust in Jesus Christ. And the three sub points there were they have a new Lord and they have new life and they have new love, right? They've confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord. They've acknowledged him to be who he is, confessing him as Lord and therefore having a responsibility to follow him and to live unto the Lord as the language of Romans chapter 14 would say. And that's because they have a new life and that new life produces fruit right if 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 i asked you, you you came across a body and you asked is is that is that body alive or dead right you would look for signs of life you would check for a pulse you'd see if there's any breath right there would be evidence of life and the same thing is true in the spiritual realm if someone is born again they give evidence of being born again so so someone who says, I, you know, Jesus is my savior and shows no evidence of being born again, we would rightly have hesitation about accepting that profession of faith. Because if they've really confessed Christ as Lord, it is tied to the fact that they've been regenerated and therefore they have new life and also Everyone who is born of God loves God and loves those who are born of God. So there's new love in them, right? And it would be, I mean, this is sort of obvious, but sometimes the obvious needs to be stated, right? Someone who doesn't love God has never been born of God. And that's why the end of Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Corinthians talks about uh not loving God as being under the curse. 
right? It's, 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 really, it's, it's really not about a person producing it. It's what God produces, right? If, if there's new life, that life will produce fruit. And if there's new life, a part of that fruit will be love for God and love for God's children. Because if you say that you love God, but you hate those who are your brothers and sisters, you're a liar and do not speak the truth. Right? That's, those are the words of John, not me. Right? So trusting, new Lord, new life, new love. Second benchmark is belonging. That is, they have identified with Christ through baptism. Right? They've owned Jesus Christ as their Lord, publicly professing him through baptism. They identify with God's people through membership in the assembly, and they identify with the mission of Jesus Christ by becoming an active part of the assembly, seeking to advance the mission of Christ. That whole teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Right? They embrace the mission of Christ. Christ said, I will build my church. So someone who really belongs to the church is not a spectator. They're a participant. That's what I mean by that, right? They've owned Christ through baptism. They've committed to Christ's people through membership. And they have, they, have, uh, they have engaged in doing the work that Jesus is doing, which is to build his church. So trusting, belonging, growing. They have accepted responsibility to begin the process of growing from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. They are, to use the language of Philippians 2, working out their salvation with fear and trembling, right? They're not, um, they're not thinking that they're passive about it and then whatever happens, happens. You know, if I'm gonna grow, God's gonna do it as if you could be, irresponsible about the resources that God has given to us by which we we receive his grace, the word of his grace, which is able to build us up and grant us an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith and the throne of grace where we may go to to receive grace and mercy in our time of need and the gifts that are given by Christ's grace to be operative in the body. Those resources are being accessed and we're pursuing a path of constant repentance and renewal. I, I said this this week in school chapel that um, if, if we, if you struggle thinking of the last time you repented over some sin that you committed, that's not a good thing. Because if you're regularly interacting with God's word, it is written in part for reproof and for correction. So if you're engaged with God's word, it should be speaking to you in ways that are exposing wrong thinking reproof and exposing wrong acting correction. So, so if your life is not marked by repentance, then it's probably not a growing Christian life. You've become indifferent to something that God hates because the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And if you're not repenting, 
you, you must have gotten comfortable with sin. Right? It, it's like, uh, I started to use an illustration that wouldn't apply. So it's like working in your garden. Right? I have no idea what that's like. But I've heard, right? I've heard. Like if you're working around in the dirt, you, get, you, don't, you just don't realize how dirty you are until you step away from it. Right? I've moved, you know, clean out something and, and you, you know, you're just working hard. You don't even realize it. And all of a sudden you walk away and it, like water hits your hands and you can see all the dirt. Right? Or you, you, you know, you brush your clothes and all of a sudden it creates a cloud of dust. Right? While you're in the midst of it, you weren't even paying attention to it and you basically had gotten accustomed to it. And there is, there is the possibility as Christians that we just live so comfortably with the soot of this world that we're not regularly having the cleansing that we're supposed to have through confession, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us, right? So are we coming back to Christ regularly for the cleansing that we need because of the sin that, that comes into our lives through our daily battle with it, right? So growing would be accepting responsibility for it, using the resources that God has given to us and expressed in a life of continual repentance. The absence of repentance is an impediment, an obstacle to growth, right? And we need to, we need to recognize that. Trusting, belonging, growing, serving. And here uh, we focused on the fact that the source of our service is the love of Christ. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. So what we do in serving is actually there are people who benefit from it, right? We are serving other people, but we're doing it because of love for Christ. Right, Hebrews 6.10, that God is not unjust so as to forget our labor of love, a labor of love for his name in having served, ministered to, and still ministering to the saints. So I love God. That's why I serve the body of Christ. I love Christ. So I serve the body of Christ. And it has to come from that source because that's the purifying of our motives for it. Uh, and, and then we can, be, we can be sure that we're not being just like lost people. And Jesus, remember we talked about uh, inviting people over to your home for a meal who have the resources to invite you back? Right, that's the word, the, the world operates sort of by like, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. I show you kindness, you reciprocate in showing me kindness. And Jesus said, do it for people who can't invite you back, right? Because lost people can show that kind of commitment. They can do something that will actually bring reciprocation to them. People who know God and trust God give without expecting anything back from the recipient because they trust God about it. And that's what Hebrews 6.10 is talking about. God is not unjust so as to forget. 
That's, that's the negative way of saying is God is righteous and will remember. Right? The righteousness of God guarantees that he will remember the love that you have shown toward his name in ministering to the saints and still ministering. Right? You're doing it because you believe God will not forget. So you're satisfied with that. Because like Matthew 6, if you practice your righteousness to be seen of people, then, then you're getting your full reward, right? You give in a way that draws attention to your giving, you've, you've gotten your full reward, right? But he says, give so that your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing and your father who sees in secret will know and will reward you, right? So are you doing it so people will see you give? Or are you doing it because you're committed to God? So serving comes from a source of love for God that displays the love of Christ. And the substance of that service is the use of our gifts for the Lord. We have been entrusted with some spiritual ability that can be used for the building up of the body of Christ. So, so that We should serve across the board, but certainly what we've been entrusted with should be at the center of it, right? So so it's not exclusive, right? You can't go, well, hey, I have the gift of teaching, so I don't need to do anything else. It should be we serve wherever there's a need and an opportunity, but there are some areas in which we will excel by God's grace, right? And I I mean that seriously by God's grace. God's grace has given us the gift to excel there. So so we will excel there by God's grace. That's where we should be devoting ourselves to it so that the proper working of each individual part, each joint supplying causes the body to build itself up in love. And, And that, if it's going to be done, has to be done in the strength that God supplies, 1 Peter chapter 4. So, we are not depending on our own strength, but depending on the work of God. This morning, I, I, I've told you before, I, I sometimes will text a bunch of preachers. And, I'm, and I'm, I mean, there's a part of it that's honestly sort of selfish because I know if I text uh, guys, it'll remind them to pray for me, right? So I'll, I'll send a text and usually I'll send it uh, a, a, a verse of scripture with it. And the one I sent this morning is from Romans 15, where Paul says, I know I will come to you in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Right? It's just, it's been a, it's been a, um, it's just been a text that's been like running in my head. Right? Paul is confident that he's going to come to them and, and Christ is going to work through him. Right, Because just a few verses earlier, he says, I will boast of nothing except for what Christ has accomplished. And then he says, I know that I, when I come to you, I will come to you in the fullness of Christ's blessing. And then you know what he does just like two verses later? He says, now pray for me. <laughs> right? So he doesn't, he doesn't assume anything about that. He still wants to, to have it saturated with prayer, but he's confident that God will do the work through the grace that's been given to him. 
And that's not just for apostles, because that's what 1 Peter 4 is saying. As you've received the gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him do it as the very utterances of God. If anyone serves, let him do it in the strength that God supplies so that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. Come in the fullness of Christ's blessing. Boast of nothing other than what Christ has accomplished, right? If you stand up to speak on behalf of God, what you're hoping and praying for is that Christ is gonna work through that the blessing of Christ. If you're serving in the strength that God supplies, what your desire is, is that actually Christ's blessing is gonna flow through that service, right? That Christ is gonna do something that only Christ can do so that the Father will be glorified. I mean, what we're doing when we serve in the church is, is of a very different substance than when we're serving anywhere else. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. I mean, you know, we could serve in a homeowners association or serve in the, you know, in some youth recreation league, right? Those would all be places like we're doing something to help things. But when we step inside the body of Christ and are using our gifts, it's something different. It's something that requires the active work of God, the blessing of Christ, the strength that God supplies, the word of Christ speaking through a teacher, whether that's a, a children's Sunday school teacher or someone preaching in the main assembly of God's people. It requires the voice of Christ working through his word to impart spiritual edification and draw sheep to himself. It's a work that is not human. It's divine, and we get to be the instruments of it. So we should see this serving as a necessary component of growing in our relationship with Christ and of our obedience to be like our master who didn't come to be served, but to serve. Then the fifth was sharing, okay? And that was generosity with the resources that God has given us, a specific kind of that in hospitality where we're opening up our lives and homes to the work of God among his people and also testimony that we're sharing what God has done for us in salvation, but also in the grace of God being bestowed, that we are letting the redeemed of the Lord say so. So generosity, hospitality, testimony. And then the last one we looked at was multiplying, that if, if, the, if the mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations, that means that there's gotta be a multiplication of three things, disciples, servants, and leaders, right? Every, I, I, I sincerely believe this, it ought to be the prayer and desire of every follower of Christ to see someone else come to be a follower of Christ, right? And not just have that be, something somebody else does because we've been chosen and appointed to go and bear fruit 
fruit that remains. So it ought to be the hunger of our heart to see people come to Christ through the sharing of our testimony about what Christ has done for us. We want to see the gospel spread. We, we need to be constantly raising up another generation of people to serve Christ, right? That we're, we're moving ourselves and others into service because we need to have that long-range view, right? Jesus wants us to be doing this until he comes back. And so far, it's been 2,000 years And even though the signs of the end are very near in the Middle East and in the Lions, it is is not certain, right? I mean, if they win the Super Bowl, I am thinking, like, we're we're ready to be out of here, all right? But, But who knows? Who knows when the end is going to come? I mean, it it may be, it may be that Jesus delays his coming till the youngest in this congregation are the oldest, right? And, and will, will the body of Christ, which identifies as inner city Baptist church, have renewed itself by the multiplication of servants, right? Will, will we actually have raised up another generation that embraces the truth of God to the point where it transforms what they value as most important. That they put the mission of Jesus Christ and the health of the body as the highest priority for any believer in this world. Right? And, and, and I don't hesitate to say that at all. Because long after everything else on this planet is done, The thing that has eternal significance is the mission of Jesus Christ to gather up people from every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation for him to build his church. So anyone that loves Jesus has to love that mission, which means we serve, right? So are we raising that up or are we potentially uh, just going the pathway? And God's been very gracious to us that we've, you know, we've cycled through a couple generations, right? But, but we're always not far from what a lot of churches have done, is which basically just sort of die out because they don't see it as a baton that needs to be passed on. And one narrow part of that multiplication is the responsibility to raise up leaders, 2 Timothy 2.2 that every generation of believers has a responsibility to provide a context and commitment to the raising up of workers for the harvest. That, that has to be the, the heartbeat of a church or else it's essentially destined to that generation, right? It, it, it will end. If there's nobody to pick up the baton, the race ends. Right? And, and it, won't, it won't end for Christ's larger mission of building the church. But it is ended for multitudes of local churches because nobody was there to pick up the baton. Right? And, and that's a, a, a horrific, horrific failure of the present generation. Right? We can, we love to sort of, 
grouse about the coming generation, but it's actually the current generation that doesn't raise up the leaders. If, if there's no generation to follow, it's not that generation's fault in my book. It's the one that was supposed to find faithful people and entrust things to them, right? It's our job to do that. And so it has to be the burden of our hearts to do that. All right. So look at Philippians 1.5, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ease your pain right now, all right? The last mark is sending. And I've preached an entire series on this, so I'm going to assume a certain level of, uh, of familiarity, and I'm going to just open it up tonight uh, with what I think would be the, the core concept and the first mark of it. Look at Philippians 1.5. I actually start in verse 3 so you can get the start of the sentence. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Some of you may have a footnote next to that participation that says sharing in the preaching of the gospel. Um, basically, the, 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 some of you might have a translation that says partnership uh, because the word that's used here is the word that's translated probably most often in the New Testament as fellowship or sharing or sometimes communicating, right? Having things in common, even the word for communion, right? That, that you have this, this sharing of something. And, and what Paul is saying here is that it, it was a, a source of constant joy for him as he prayed for them that from the first day that they received the gospel, they actually became participants in the gospel with him. All right? they, they actually became partners. To have received the gospel brings with it a responsibility for the gospel, and the Philippians embraced that from the start, that they actually had become partners with the apostle Paul. And this is, this is to me sort of like the capstone of where this whole series has been going because of the very logic of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. But well, what's the thing he just commanded? Go make disciples of all the nations. So if, if your obedience to Christ stops short of go make disciples of all the nations, then you're not actually observing all that Jesus commanded. I mean, there's an inherent weight to what Jesus said is that all followers of Jesus Christ will actually become invested in the Great Commission, the mission of Christ to see disciples made of all nations. I mean, a, a, a heart that's, absent of that has not does not have the heart of Jesus because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, Israel, and them must I also bring and they will hear my voice. Jesus has a mission to gather people from every 
tribe, every nation, every tongue. And anyone who's going to be a committed follower of Christ has to come all the way up to that and say, all right, so what's my role in that? And I would suggest to you that because the Great Commission is given to the local church, that means churches have a responsibility for it. In fact, I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. Uh, The Great Commission cannot be fulfilled by individuals because it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have to have churches to fulfill the Great Commission because baptism is an ordinance of the local church. So, So when we hear the Great Commission, it is true that that responsibility falls on all of us, but it falls on us not as individuals in isolation, but as people who are a part of the church because the church has that obligation. The Great Commission isn't for missionaries. It's for the church that sends out missionaries that do the work of the church, right? I mean, you've got to think about this the right way because sometimes what we do is we create a culture where someone says, hey, I want to go to Timbuktu. And then they go to the church and say, hey, I'm going to Timbuktu. Can you give me some money so I can go to Timbuktu? So the church is actually serving the missionary. Instead of it actually like Acts 13, the church sends out Saul and Barnabas to do the work. The church goes, hey, we want you to go to Timbuktu and do the work of the Great Commission on our behalf because it's the church that has the responsibility to it, and we're sending you to that work. We're participating in the work. We're partnering together. So it's not like, hey, we're over here, and we're doing our thing, and they're over there doing their thing. No, we're all doing the thing. Because when you think about missions, it's actually not a program of the church. Like we have Sunday school and we have a missions program and we have a music program. Missions is the very reason for the existence of the church. That's why we're here is to do what Jesus told us to do, to make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that Christ commanded from right where we are to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, remote parts of the earth. That's Acts. Throughout all Macedonia and Achaia, that's Thessalonica. Here's Philippi, and Paul shows up there, preaches the gospel. A congregation is formed. Paul gets the daylights beat out of him. He's put in jail. He leaves and goes to Thessalonica. He's in Thessalonica for a very short period of time. Chapter 4 says, more than once, they sent an offering to him in Thessalonica so that he could preach the gospel because Paul's practice was he wouldn't take money from people he was trying to reach for Christ because he didn't want them to think he was trading the gospel for their money. So he wouldn't take up offerings where he was planting churches. And the Philippians knew that. So here's this church that's described in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as being in poverty. That's the Philippians. And they sent gifts more than once to Paul 
so that Paul could preach the gospel free of charge to the Thessalonians. That's what he means by you became participants with me in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's now in a Roman prison. So from the first time they heard the gospel and received it and a congregation was formed, they embraced the task to be advancing the gospel and, and serving as a missionary church. That's, that's what we're called to be and do. And, and any kind of thought in our head that, that says, well, missions is just like, yeah, missions is good, but it shouldn't be the only thing we do is actually not thinking about what the mission is. I mean, the, we are still missionaries to this area. We're still called to see people become followers of Christ, identify with Christ through baptism, be incorporated into the assembly of his people and yielding themselves to the teaching of Christ. And from us into the areas around us where the gospel is not being preached clearly, we should be constantly pushing it out, right? Where are there places where the gospel is not being clearly and boldly proclaimed so that people become followers of Christ. Where are those places from 4700 Allen Road to the ends of the earth? Where does it still need to go? Because that's the heart of Jesus. And that's the heart of his followers who are trying to stick close to him. Right? And the minute we stop caring about that is the minute we start drifting backward because the heart of Jesus is to gather those sheep and he'll only gather them through the preaching of the word. And that means there have to be people sent, Romans 10, to do that. And that means there have to be people who are willing to pour out their lives for them in prayer victorious like we used to sing, right? And give of your sons and daughters to bear the message glorious. Give of your treasure too. And all the things that we give, God will fully repay because we're doing the work of Christ. Let's pray. Father, please help us to never lose sight of why we exist as a church, that it is to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ and we benefit from it. We get so much in it. But sometimes, just like in our personal lives, we can start to treasure the benefits more than we embrace the responsibility. And the tendency in our culture to view everything from the framework of what's in it for us can carry into even this so that churches become ingrown and, and complacent and always wanting more for us. And so, Lord, help us not to lose the edge of gospel urgency. Help us not to lose sight of our Savior moving towards sinners and his commission for us to move with all of our intent at the spread of the gospel to the nations. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.